This is Mountain Zen Den, the place to connect with nature for mindfulness and personal growth in your life. Naturally, I'm grateful you decided to join us today. Welcome. Hey, Brett here, your fellow traveler and following the road less traveled. I'm glad you found us. So think of this as your daily 10-minute getaway, a moment of sanity to purposefully stop and think clearly about your life and what you want it to look like. Do you ever feel like you're just living from paycheck to paycheck, trying to fill your life with things, attempting to buy your way to happiness, but not really living? I'm not just talking about the way we live and organize our lives, but about the way we see the world. It's about where we search for our meaning and happiness. At a time when people in the West have the highest standard of living that we've ever had, why is it that we're so empty and dissatisfied, always searching for more, more things to make us happy? We find ourselves so restless and always scratching and clawing for more. As humans, we're wired to become dissatisfied. We have an addiction and a craving for more, 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 and we're encouraged to support and maintain the addiction through technology and information. All you have to do is turn on the TV or radio, your iPhone, or open a magazine or book to learn that you are not enough. If you would just buy this product or wear this article of clothing or drive this car or use this lotion, you'd be happy and have exactly what it is you want and need and everyone would admire and adore you. What a load of hoo-ha. Everything you need, you already have. This is the truth. And it's the very thing that the media and anyone trying to sell you something does not want you to know. Now, I'm not saying there's some nefarious plan out there to destroy the world through materialism. Neither am I saying there isn't, but I'm just saying the sooner we are aware of this ugly truth of the human condition and our addiction for things, the closer we'll be to discovering real happiness and true inner peace. This is one of the things that I love about winter. It has a way of breaking things down to its barest essentials, reminding us what is truly necessary in order to live and to be happy. Don't get me wrong, about this time of year I begin to ache for a good trip to the beach in Mexico or a sunny tropical climate with a mimosa in my hand. Or even for a day on the slopes, just swishing through powdery snow and riding the list to do it again and again. There's nothing at all wrong with this. In fact, these are very healthy pursuits as long as the foundation is there for an understanding of true happiness, the source of love and simplicity, joy and deep stillness and tranquility. It's important to remember, though, that Seeking more and more things or even experiences, quote, out there to make you happy can lead to an enormous sense of dissatisfaction with your life and with yourself. It creates feelings of loss and anxiety and depression that something is wrong with you or that you are not enough. Some very fortunate few have discovered that when it comes to materialism in all its forms, less is more. Simplicity wins over stuff and minimalism has a beauty all its own. What is it about simplicity and minimalism that is so attractive? It's because it leads to the realization that you are enough, that you have enough, and that life is so full and rich and meaningful right now and becomes wonderful and beautiful when you get this fact straight in your mind. For about the last century and a half, millions of people have been fascinated with and drawn to the idea and philosophy of Henry David Thoreau's story and experience of Walden Pond in New England. For two years and two months and two days, he chose to step back and examine his life in a minimalist way, seeking, as he put it, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Many would argue that in doing so, he truly did discover what it meant to live. He found his joy and purpose and meaning in simplicity and in the natural world at his feet 
and above his head. Today we want to take a little trip back to Walden Pond and join him for a few minutes as he ruminates on the simple pleasures of winter animals. This is the fourth and final part of his chapter of the same title in Walden. We covered the other three the last three Wednesdays, and oh, I forgot to welcome you to Walden Wednesday. Anyway, you're here now, so grab yourself a hot tea or other drink and relax and join us as we listen to Henry speak. Winter Animals from Walden The hunter who told me this could remember one Sam Nutting, who used to hunt bears on Fairhaven ledges and exchange their skins for rum in Concord Village. Who told him, even, that he had seen a moose there? Nutting had a famous foxhound named Burgoyne. He pronounced it Burgine, which my informant used to borrow. In the wasp book of an old trader of this town, who is also a captain, town clerk, and representative, I find the following entry, January 18th, 1742-1743. John Melvin C.R. by one gray fox, 023. They are not now found here, and in his ledger, February 7th, 1743, Hezekiah Stratton has credit, quote, by one half a cat skin, zero, one, four and a half. Of course, a wildcat, for Stratton was a sergeant in the old French war and would not have got credit for hunting less noble game. Credit is given for deerskin also, and they were daily sold. One man still preserves the horns of the last deer that was killed in this vicinity, and another has told me the particulars of the hunt in which his uncle was engaged. The hunters were formerly a numerous and merry crew here. I remember well one gaunt Nimrod who would catch up a leaf by the roadside and play a strain on it wilder and more melodious, if my memory serves me, than any hunting horn. At midnight, when there was a moon, I sometimes met with hounds in my path, prowling about the woods, which would skulk out of my way as if afraid and stand silent amid the bushes till I passed. Squirrels and wild mice disputed for my store of nuts. There were scores of pitch pines around my house, from one to four inches in diameter, which had been gnawed by mice the previous winter. A Norwegian winter for them, for the snow lay long and deep, and they were obliged to mix a large proportion of pine bark with their other diet. These trees were alive and apparently flourishing at midsummer, and many of them had grown a foot, though completely girdled. But after another winter, such were without exception dead. It is remarkable that a single mouse should thus be allowed a whole pine tree for its dinner, gnawing round instead of up and down it. But perhaps it is necessary in order to thin these trees, which are wont to grow up densely. The hares, Lepus americanus, were very familiar. One had her form under my house all winter, separated from me only by the flooring, and she startled me each morning by her hasty departure when I began to stir, thump, 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 striking her head against the floor timbers in her hurry. They used to come round my door at dusk to nibble the potato parings which I had thrown out, and were so nearly the color of the ground that they could hardly be distinguished when still. Sometimes in the twilight, I alternately lost and recovered sight of one sitting motionless under my window. When I opened my door in the evening, off they would go with a squeak and a bounce. Near at hand, they only excited my pity. One evening, one sat by my door, two paces from me, at first trembling with fear, yet unwilling to move, a poor wee thing, lean and bony, with ragged ears and sharp nose, scant tail and slender paws. It looked as if nature no longer contained the breed of nobler bloods, but stood on her last toes. Its large eyes appeared young and unhealthy, almost dropsical. 
I took a step, and lo, away it scud with an elastic spring over the snow crust, straightening its body and its limbs into graceful length, and soon put the forest between me and itself, the wild free venison, asserting its vigor and the dignity of nature. Not without reason was its slenderness. Such, then, was its nature. Lepus levipus, lightfoot, some think. What is a country without rabbits and partridges? They are among the most simple and indigenous animal products, ancient and venerable families, known to antiquity as to modern times, of the very hue and substance of nature, nearest allied to leaves and to the ground, and to one another. It is either winged or it is legged. It is hardly as if you had seen a wild creature when a rabbit or a partridge bursts away, only a natural one, as much to be expected as rustling leaves. The partridge and the rabbit are still sure to thrive, like true natives of the soil, whatever revolutions occur. If the forest is cut off, the sprouts and bushes which spring up afford them concealment, and they become more numerous than ever. That must be a poor country indeed that does not support a hare. Our woods teem with them both, and around every swamp may be seen the partridge or rabbit walk, beset the twiggy fences and horsehair snares which some cowboy tends. Awesome. I feel like I was there. I haven't been there yet in person, but it is definitely on my bucket list of places I want to visit in the very near future. I'll be sure to tell you all about it when I do. Maybe we'll do a podcast from there. Who knows? That'd be cool. So here's our quote for the day, and it's by Lao Tzu. He says, Be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there is nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. All right. If you found this helpful or enjoyed today's show, maybe you can share it with someone you know might enjoy it as well. Oh, and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and on our mailing list at uh, mountainzenden.com as well. Don't forget, life is a gift, nature's a gift, and you are a gift back to the world. We'll see you back here tomorrow.